Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. God supplies the power, but your faith is what the power flows through. So if you don't have any plumbing in your home or if there are any pipes in your home, you're not going to have running water in your home. At least that comes from the city. Agreed? So you have to live by faith. Faith has to be present. It is a requirement. And when pray, faith is, is present, the power of God can flow unhindered. So in those moments when we've got the word concerning what it is that we are on purpose setting our faith for, we can thank God that his power is working to meet our need because the Bible let us know in Mark, and I've gone over this a few times, that is God who supplies the power and our part is to supply our faith. The disciples asked Jesus, how do we do what it is that you're doing basically? What's our part? And he said, your part is to believe. So our part is to supply the faith. God supply our faith. God will always supply the power. And then this is the part that I'm going to highlight today. And it's what Minister Dathan was saying when he first stepped up here. When you release your faith, in between you releasing your faith and you seeing the manifestation of what it is that you're believing for in the natural, you have to fight the good fight of faith. That is when the enemy is going to attack you and send counterattacks and throw everything up under the sun, including the kitchen sink, as Pastor Carrick says. And that is when you hold fast. That is when you fight the good fight of faith. You continue to release your faith. That's how you do it. You continue to say what God has said concerning that situation. You continue to praise and worship, and you do not ever let go. Independent of the time, the Lord has already let us know there's a godly principle that is always at work. Seed, time, and harvest. You put a seed in the ground. You put the seed of the word of God in the ground, and it takes time. He let us know in the Bible that it's faith and patience and adherence to promises of God. It takes time. And then we know our God will never fail. He will. His words will never come back void. He will always perform his word. We also know that miracles are happening all the time, every day. Miracles are flowing all the time, every day. Pastor Carrick said last week they're either going by you or they're running into you. And he, he had an example where he jumped in the flow. There's always a flow of miracles, always. God is a miracle worker. God is love. God is good. God is mighty. God is healer. He is all of those things, always. It doesn't stop. It's independent of if we believe the lies of the devil or not. God is good independent of whether we believe the lies of the devil or not, because Satan's going to lie and tell you your faith is not enough. Satan's going to lie and tell you it's not going to work this time. Satan's going to lie and say you're going to die and not live. 
Satan's going to lie and say you do not have what you need to do any of what God has told you you must. But God said, I shall supply all of your needs according to his, to his riches and glory, of course, according to, to uh, God's riches and glory. So God already let us know he shall. That means it's a done deal. He already let us know I'm going to get it to you. It's already a done deal. And it's according to his riches and glory, which aren't limited in the least bit. It's a done deal. So you have to choose continuously to believe what God has said and recognize we have to grow in skill in order to do this. When it's the enemy, when you are having thoughts, because for the believer, that's how he gets you. He attacks your mind. And it is contrary to what God's word says. It is immediately the enemy. If you're feeling alone or if you feel like you've messed up too much and it's over for you, that's a lie. If it is the opposite of what God says, recognize that that is a lie. And then you make the choice to believe what God says. And you make the choice immediately to release your faith. So don't just don't do anything. You release your faith. So you're having thoughts or you are, you know, I'm not sure what the situation, but it's a lie. You release your faith, and you do that by saying what God says. You can also do that by praising and worshiping, but you say, I thank you, Lord, that your power, because you know the faith is present, you supplied your part, that your power is meeting this need. You say what the Bible says in regards to that situation, and that is how you fight the good fight of faith. And it is required. Let's go to Psalm 27. And as you turn there, I'll read another scripture that we've been looking at a lot this past few weeks. Galatians 6, 9, verse in the Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. And let us not lose heart and grow weary and faint in acting nobly and doing right. For in due time and at the appointed season, we shall reap if we do not loosen and relax our courage and faint. Say, we'll reap if we don't faint. Say, we'll harvest if we don't give up. So we're in this series that I thought we were going to finish at the end of January. It's now mid-March. And it's called The Extreme Goodness of God. And so a couple weeks ago, we got into a flow, and I said a phrase, said you're in the middle of a miracle, you just don't know it. Because you think you're in the middle of a storm, you're actually in the middle of a miracle. And so we got to this example, how we're getting so close to where your miracle is. Say your miracle's behind this door. And a lot of us are right here. And First Lady shared at the end of that message some of the things the Lord showed in her spirit. And that you know, next day we were talking about it. She's like, there's so many people who are so close, but they're about to quit. They're so close to the miracle, but they're about to quit. So last Sunday we shared in the middle of a miracle. And of course that message is on our YouTube channel, Faith Plus App Podcast, if you missed it. And we're going to pick up in that same vein because there's so many you're closer than you think you are. And one of the things I've known from being in ministry for a number of years now, and just a couple years, I've been in ministry 20 years. I'm like, yes, I have gray hair, but I realize I have that many. <laughs> but one of the things of being in ministry for 20 years, and, I've been, and a year from now, I've been pastoring this church for 10 years, I realize that there's certain waves that happen in ministry. That in, when there's sometimes there's an individual going through something or a few families going through something, but when it's the majority of the congregation going through a particular type of struggle, it lets you know it's a target of attack of hell. 
And there's different ways that you deal with that. You know, when that happens, I know how to target my prayers. But also when the Holy Ghost camps on a message and won't let me leave it, there's a reason. Rick Renner said it this way, the greatest time of spiritual warfare happens when the Word of God goes forth. Because, you know, you heard earlier how demons flee when you mention the name of Jesus. But as the Word of God goes forth, demons back up. That's why some of you said, you know, it's different when I come to church. Those thoughts that have been dogging me back up. That's because the sword of the Word is going forth, and they don't want to deal with that. One of the things I was taught and understand from my position as a shepherd of the pastor of this house, there's an authority with what I say. And that when I preach and when I pray, I believe there's certain things, yeah, they may be messing with you, but they can't keep messing you while I'm talking. Why? While I'm preaching, I'm going to hunt them out. You don't leave them down, I will hunt you down. Why? It's the authority. Now, I can do that while we're gathered, but you have to learn how to do that in your own life. You have this thought that keeps dogging you, dogging you, dogging you. Open your mouth and say, stop. You have to learn how to use your authority. And there's so many of us, we're so close to a miracle, but we're tempted to give up because we're getting tired. We've stood for so long, but now we're tired. We thought it was going to happen one way, but now we're tired. And notice what it says in Galatians. You'll reap if you don't quit. So a lot of us say, well, I just can't quit. But don't focus on the quitting. You got to focus on the getting tired. Because that's an indicator that you might quit. And what's the key to not getting tired? Psalm 27, 13 and 14. David says, I would have lost heart or I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So David said, I would have fainted unless I believed I would see the goodness of God. I would have gotten tired and quit if I did not believe I would see God's goodness. So let's define God's goodness. We say, oh, it's spiritual. Well, sure, it's spiritual, but it's a lot more than that. As I heard Pastor Court exert you for a while this morning. It's more than that. The word goodness here in the Hebrew means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. The word goodness means prosperity, good things, property, supply, provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme. So the Psalms, I would have fainted, I would have gotten tired, I would have quit if I did not believe I would see God's goodness, his prosperity, his good things, his property, his supply, his provision, good in the widest sense of the word, and good to the farthest extreme show up in my life. That's what he's saying. Then he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, we covered that word wait means to eagerly expect and look for. The word wait means to eagerly expect and look for. Waiting on the Lord does not mean to sit down and do nothing. Waiting is not passive, and waiting is not an action. Some people use that as religious phrase, oh, I'm just waiting on God. Well, what are you doing while you wait? Well, nothing. You ain't really waiting on God. Waiting on God is a life of expectation, where you're consistently leaning in, expecting God to show up and show out on your behalf. 
I used this example before. I heard it, you know, a number of decades ago. Uh, this man of God was talking about he was walking uh, in an area where he says, you know, you want to get out of that area by a certain time at night. And he said he's walking up to a bus stop, and he saw people waiting at the bus. But they weren't just normally waiting at the bus stop. They were waiting and leaning looking down the road, looking up the hill for the bus is supposed to come. And he says, I know when I'm getting a good example. He said, are you guys waiting for a bus? The person said, yes, we're waiting for a bus. And he said, the name of the bus, what time the bus would arrive. And he says, is it the last bus out of the neighbor? Yes, it's the last bus for the night. So you can say, well, a lot of people wait at the bus stop, but they were waiting in a different way. They're waiting in great expectation for that bus to come down the street. And so if you're not waiting on God in great expectation, you're not really waiting on God. And David says, if you wait on God, you'll be strengthened. He said, I believed I would see his goodness, and I'm waiting on him. Now, yes, we know David is anointed. He's a psalmist. He would be king, but he's also a prophet. And so sometimes we read the psalms, we're thinking about, okay, he's prophesying about the future, and in some psalms he is. But David is writing this not just from a point of prophetic understanding or just from a place of revelation. He's writing this from a place of experience. Because there's a lot of people in the Bible who knew what it meant to wait on God. But this brother really knew what it meant to wait on God. And I want to show you that. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16 with me. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Of course, you find my notes in the Faithless app and the YouVersion Bible app as well. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now, it doesn't say how old David was, but we know he was a teenager at this point. Well, how do you know that? Because next, you see there's a war going on with the Philistines, and all his brothers leave to go to battle. Twenty and older was the age for the army. So David couldn't go to battle because he wasn't old enough. So he's anointed to be king, yet he's not king. He was chosen to be king, yet he's not king yet. Or we can say this way, he was selected to be king. It's Selection Sunday. And go are you, my alma mater made it again, so go are you all day long. It's Selection Sunday. So what's going to happen later on this afternoon, the different teams who are going into the tournament will be selected. That's why they call it Selection Sunday. But the thing is, just because they're selected today does not mean they're going to be the champion. There's going to be a road from the selection Sunday to the championship game. How many can see that? That just because you're selected doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. David was selected. He was anointed to be king, yet he wasn't king yet. He's anointed to do it, but it wasn't time yet. When we look at Galatians chapter 6, it says, you know, a set time or appointed time. Now, all those written in Greek is being written by a Jewish scholar by the name of the Apostle Paul. And so he would have had an understanding in his mind of the Hebrew word moed, which you see in the Old Testament. That is a Hebrew word that means a set time, an appointed time. When you look at the feast written about in the law, that we see it as translated feast in our translations, but it's also the word moed. Well, God said these are the set times and the appointed times where we remember what I've done, but every moed, every feast under the law found its fulfillment in Jesus' first coming and his fulfillment in his second coming that we're still looking forward to. So every appointed time in Moed spoke about what God did and what he was about to do. And when they took 
these set times, they were to remember the faithfulness of God and look forward in expectation for what God was going to do in the future. And so there are some things in your life where you're waiting for your moed. You're waiting for the set time, an appointed time that God has on his calendar that he will fulfill. But there are other things in your life that is not a set time, it's just some things take time. And whether you're waiting for the set time or what you're going through is just going to take time to work itself out, for God to work it out on your behalf, you cannot grow tired. And you cannot quit. David was anointed to be king as a teenager. That means God selected him and chose him and anointed him, seed in him everything he needed to be king. Although you might think he didn't have that many life experiences. Think about it. How, how many of you would elect a teenager to be president? You're like, he hasn't even been off of TikTok long enough to do anything for us. What are you doing? Right? But God saw something in David says, I want you to lead my people. He selected him. He anointed him. But it was going to take time before he's king. And so we know the story. A lot of us know. But before we even mention that, one of the things that you need to be selected and then get to the place where you actually arrive, where God has promised you, is faithfulness. Because God saw David's faithfulness in his small things. And if he's faithful with the small, he'll be faithful with the big. So you have to be faithful to be selected, but you also have to be faithful during the time of waiting. We mentioned it last week, you know, point number four, we said do not leave your post while you wait on the Lord. Keep doing what God told you to do. Just because it's taken a long time, you do not have permission to go AWOL. Say, oh, it's been a long time. Doesn't mean you stopped doing what he told you to do. Well, it didn't work out the way I wanted to. Doesn't mean you stopped doing what he told you to do. Now, we use the example how Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the gift or the promise from the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He told them that on day 40 after his resurrection. And when he read the writings of the Apostle Paul, he said over 500 people saw Jesus at once. That means Jesus appeared to over 500 people at the same time, and they all saw him. But it also says he appeared to the apostles. He appeared to his brothers. He appeared to a lot of people. So we can easily say Jesus appeared to over 500 people. But on the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 people. Where are the other 380 plus? They were supposed to be waiting, yet they weren't waiting. They weren't at their post, and they missed out what God was doing. Don't miss your post because you got tired. Don't miss your miracle because you got tired. You have to stay faithful. Say, I have to stay faithful. Come on, say it out loud and put, uh, again and put it in the chat. Say, I have to stay faithful. So this week, we're going to read a devotional together on faithfulness. You'll see the link in the Faith Plus app as well as the YouVersion Bible Notes. It's written by Sister Gloria Copeland, and it's about the fruit of faithfulness. Because if you're going to go to where God has for you, you have to be faithful. Once again, say, I have to be faithful. So this next part of David's story is he's anointed to be king, yet he's still with the sheep. But then his dad says, I need you to take some food to your brothers because they've gone to war. So now David is Uber Eats. He's anointed to be king, but yet he's delivering food. So he gets there, and he hears the taunts of Goliath. We know how the story goes. I won't go through it for the sake of time. He takes down the giant. And so now you know it's silent when Goliath falls. Everybody is quiet. The Israelis are quiet. The Philistines are quiet. Well, Goliath is quiet because he's down. 
David takes Goliath's sword and cuts off Goliath's head. Everybody's frozen. And then David lifts the head and leads the charge against the Philistines. So now you have all the armies of Israel following a teenager. And after this, Saul's like, who is this dude? Who is he? They said, oh yeah, he's the son of Jesse. Well, great, he's staying. And so Saul hires this teenager. You're not working for me. And Saul, we know he's tormented by evil spirits at this point. But anytime David would play, the anointed would come in a room and set Saul free. And so at this point, it is known that David is the future king. Saul should have mentored him, but he didn't. He became jealous. And before we get to that point, Saul's son, Jonathan, became David's best friend. They were best friends, and Jonathan said to David, I know God has anointed you to be king, and I'm going to be right there when it happens, and I'll be by your side supporting you every single step of the way. Jonathan knew David is the future king. He said, I'm going to help him get there, and I'm going to do everything that's necessary for him to be king. Now, you have to think about the maturity of Jonathan because kingship is his birthright. But he recognized the anointing and said, I'm going to support you. Saul should have done the same thing. You know, one of the things I was studying this morning praying, there are several mentors David should have had, but he didn't. Several mentors David should have had, but he didn't. One of them is Samson. You might say, how is Samson connected? And so, you know, I, you know, guys know I love history. I'm a history nerd. I'm doing these timelines. We all know Samson died early. Everybody know that Samson died early, right? You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know, yeah, he died early. But if he lived another 40, 50 years later, he would have met David. Samson was a contemporary of Samuel and a contemporary of Saul. And if Samson lived just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, he could have poured into David, even if it was his last years, last days. And we think about it, if Samson had lived longer and poured into David, David would have made the mistake he made in the end of his life that cost him. The power of a mentor. Samson, God said, I have anointed him to begin the deliverance from the Philistines. So the anointing that was on Samson became the same anointing that was on Samuel, that became the same anointing that was on Saul, and it was the same anointing that was on David, same anointing. One started and one was supposed to finish. So yes, Samuel mentored David, but so sort of Samson and Saul. See, some of you, you've been through some things, you've got some maturity on your side, but there are people you're supposed to mentor and pour into so they don't make the same mistakes that you made, so they avoid the pitfalls that you fell into because the plan of God will go forward if you pour into the next generation. And look at David's life, I'm like, he had some advisors, but he should have had more. Because I'm trying to think that the reason that Jonathan missed out because of Saul's foolishness. And I imagine David would have made some of the mistakes if Jonathan was right there. Because, you know, there were advisors who spoke to Saul, David, and there were some prophets who checked David. But there was nothing like being checked by a brother who's your best friend. Who even says, Jonathan's like, I love you more than I love myself. I got you. Jonathan could have stopped David from doing a lot of stuff. You can't be caught up just because somebody else rises faster than you or someone else has a more prominent position than you. If your role is to be mentor, be the mentor. If your role is to be the advisor, be the advisor. 
If your role is to be the friend, be the friend. Play your role well, and the will of God will come to pass. It's the same anointing that was flowing. But there's so many pitfalls David fell into. Not just because he was stupid. Anybody else done stupid things before? We've all done stupid stuff. Anybody else? We've all done stupid things. But some of his stupidity would have been avoided with the people in place. Whatever place God has called you to be, be there. Because there might be people, you think you're helping this one person, but God has assigned them to deliver a whole group of people, and you're not just helping him or her, you're helping the people God has assigned them to. Stay in your place. Going AWOL, leaving your post is dangerous, not just for you, but for the people God has called you to pour into and the people they're supposed to reach. So let's go back to that. So while Saul should be mentoring and building up David, he gets jealous. And now he wants to kill David. He creates different ways to go after David. Eventually, he's all out hunting David. So David is running for his life. And eventually, he runs into Philistine territory. He's like, well, that has to be kind of awkward because he took down Goliath. But then the uh, Philistines had five kings in, over the different territories and major cities of Philistia. And one of them was Achish. And he's like, well, it might be nice to have David on my side. It's like that line from Hamilton. It might be nice to have Washington on my side. He was like, it might be nice to have David on my side. And so Achish and David developed this relationship. And they, at best, they want to keep David neutral. They would love for David to fight for them, but at least keep him neutral out of the battle between the Philistines and Saul. And so in part of this effort to keep him neutral, they give David a city called Ziklag. Say Ziklag. And so David goes there with his family as well as his private army. You might say, oh man, if David has an army, it's probably the greatest army of the bunch. Not really. Because when you read for Samuel, it tells you the army that David had. It's everybody who was discouraged, depressed, dismayed, and in debt went to David. And it say the mighty warriors, the strong ones, discouraged, dismayed, depressed, in debt, maybe running from their debt, ran to David. And it says he became a captain over them. And when you look at the end of the story, skipping to the end, it said that these men were the mighty men. All of them were mighty. Then it talked about the top 30 out of everybody. Then it talked about the top three. So they become strong warriors who did phenomenal things. But they also became very, very rich men. Because at the end of David's life, he gives this huge offering to build the temple. Because God said, David, you're not to build the temple. Your son Solomon will build it. David said, fine, but I can still pay for it. But then David's men said, we will not be outdone. We will give too. And when you look at everything that David and his men gave, it's totally into the hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars. They started discouraged, depressed, dismayed, and in debt. They just didn't end there. So all of these people follow David, and they go live in Ziklag. And so they're neutral with the Philistines right now. The Philistines are focused on Saul. But at this time, there's multiple wars going on, and David is fighting the Amalekites. The Amalekites. Now, this is an ancient enemy from Israel. The Amalekites have been fighting Israel since they left Egypt. So this is not a new war, a new battle. This is an ancient problem. And so David is fighting the Amalekites. His headquarters is Ziklag, and David is kicking tail. 
He is beating the Amalekites at every turn, raiding their areas. It looks like he has them on the run. And so they go to another battle that they thought they were going to be in, and it turns out they don't have to fight. And they turn back, and they march back to Ziklag. Say Ziklag. And as they get closer, they see smoke rising from the distance. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. And taking captive the women and those who were there, from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his army, they're marching back. But see, someone sees smoke in a distance. And so it's like, oh man, they must know we're coming. Bonfire party, a welcome home party, right? As they get closer, they realize it's too much smoke for it to be a bonfire. It's too much smoke for some type of barbecue. As they get closer and closer, they see the entire city is on fire. Now they go from the normal march to an outright panic run. The city's on fire, you do the same thing. And as they get there, they see everything is burned down and all of their family is gone. Now imagine how you would react. You thought things were finally working out. Now everybody is gone and everything that's left is on fire. And then it says they weep and weep until they have no more energy left to weep. You might say, well, Ziklag's not on fire in my life. Well, think about it this way. You thought you had this issue handled. You thought you were winning, you were beating it, it's finally turned the corner, you're having the victory, things have turned, things are finally going well, and all of a sudden this thing strikes back. And it strikes back so hard, now it looks like I'm in a worse position than I've ever been in. Everything I have is gone. I thought Ziklag was my headquarters, but now it's on fire. I thought I had support, but my support is gone. I thought I was beating this disease, but now the disease is back, and they said it's worse. What is going on in Ziklag? Say Ziklag. And now while they're in Ziklag, this army of 600 people begins to say, Let's kill David. They're so depressed, they said, let's stone him. Bruh. If anybody has a reason to be discouraged and depressed and worried about their life, it is David in this moment. He has nothing. But what did it say he did in verse 6? But David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's great to have other people encourage you, but you have to learn how to encourage yourself. You can't say, well, nobody encouraged me. No, 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 you have to learn how to encourage yourself. And that's what David did in this dark place, one of the darkest places of his life. He encouraged himself. Say, encourage yourself. Come on, say it loud, put it in the chat, say, encourage yourself. And then after that, he said the, told to the priest that was with him, bring me the linen ephod, because that's how they would inquire of the Lord in those days. So he knew enough. Now, remember, this is the Old Covenant, Old Testament. The blood hasn't been applied yet. David is not saved. His sins haven't been washed away. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. The blood hasn't been applied to so clean him out on the inside so God can live in him. Yes, he's anointed, 
but he doesn't have the new covenant reality that you have. So you have more going for you right now than David did. But David didn't have all this going for him, yet he knew enough to encourage himself in the Lord. And then he knew enough to inquire of the Lord. He encouraged himself. He's in a dark moment, but he encouraged himself and he turns to God and says, well, what should I do, sir? He said, should I, over, should I pursue and will I overtake them? And what does God tell him? Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Because at this moment, he's got nothing. But God says, you'll get it all. Say recover all. Come on, say it with some faith, say recover all. Come on, let's say it again and put it in the chat, say recover all. God's plan is for you to recover all. And so today's message is called, Ziklag is not the end of the story. Because it looked like Ziklag was the end. It looks like they're about to stone him. It looks like David, the anointed, selected one, was over. But God said, get up, pursue, you will recover all. So they begin to pursue. They begin to run, but they're going at such a fast pace, 200 of the 600 are exhausted, they can't go cross the river. So David leaves them, you protect the stuff, we'll keep moving forward. On the journey forward, they find this Egyptian who's left behind by the Malachi army. And they feed him, give him some water, and he says, I'll tell you where they're going. You just protect me, but I'll tell you where they're going. And so by the time they get to the camp of the Amalekites, the Amalekites are throwing a party. They're not expecting David and 400 men to show up. David and these 400 guys show up, and they do battle from that night to the next night. They fight for nearly 24 hours. They take them all down. This is only 300 escaped because they were on camels, and they were running for their lives. And they found everybody there unharmed, and they recovered all. But then they didn't just recover all. They got all the Amalekite stuff, too. All the stuff they had, all the stuff they took from everyone else, now they have the spoils of war. So now the end of the story, David has more than he started with. If the thief be found, he's got to pay up double, even up to seven times, and the substance of his house. So notice what David does. He goes back to Ziklag. Say Ziklag. And so he, gives the, he has his spoil. Then the 400 has their spoil. Then the 200 by new statue has their spoil. And when David gets back, he sends spoil to all the people who helped him along the way. All the people who hid his friends along the way, who protected them as they were running for their lives. He took some of the spoil and sent it to them. He said, here's the spoil that came from the enemies of the Lord. Now David is back at Ziklag. Say Ziklag. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, two days pass. And then he gets news that Saul, King Saul, the one who was hunting him, the one who wanted him dead, the one who didn't want anything to do with him, had died. David is now king. Now, the thing is, we've preached it before, and you can preach it rightly that, you know, if David gave up at Ziklag, he'd never been king. And that's true. But when you look at 1 Samuel 30 and 31 and 32 and 2 Samuel 1, and you look at it and, and just studying out the timeline, it is so possible that David was king when Ziklag was attacked. Because remember how information spread in those days. 
He didn't get a notification on his phone, oh, Saul is dead. It would have taken some time to reach him where he was. Everything had changed for him, but he didn't know it yet. He was king, but he didn't know it yet. Everything he had been waiting on for over a decade now, since he was a teenager, had arrived, but he didn't know it yet. Everything had changed, but he didn't know it yet. Some of you are concerned because your zigzag is on fire, but I want you to know today, everything has already changed. You just haven't got the update yet. Things have already turned. It just hasn't hit your phone yet. Yes, Ziklag may be on fire, but you will recover all. And you'll find after you recover it all, what you've been waiting for has arrived. That's why you can't quit when Ziklag's on fire. You can't give up when it seems like everything in the kitchen sink has been thrown at you. You can't give up because this attack seems so bad. Everything has changed. What you've been believing for has showed up. The miracle you've been waiting for has arrived. You can't quit now. Things have changed. Say, things have changed. Ziklag is not the end of the story. He had been waiting over a decade now, and now his time had arrived. And so with that perspective, knowing at least that portion of David's life, when he says, I would have fainted. If I did not believe I'd see God's goodness in the land of the living, you have some perspective. Because he had to wait over a decade to be king. And then after he was king, he had to wait six and a half years to be king over everything. And so when he listened to this man of God said, I would have quit, I would have given up. If I didn't believe, I would see God's goodness while I lived. You have this perspective of this man who was running for his life. You have a perspective of this man who saw Ziklag on fire. And now he's writing to you by the Holy Ghost. Millennia later, I would have quit if I didn't believe. I would see God's goodness. I didn't quit because I believe. Don't you quit because you need to believe. You'll see God's goodness in the land of the living. And then he said, wait on the Lord. Another translation said, passionately wait on God. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. David waited over a decade to become king. And now, by the Holy Ghost, it tells you, wait on him. Say, wait on him. Now that you have this perspective about David's life, let's go a little bit further, a little bit further. Go to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Ziklag is not the end of the story. Psalm 37. Notice what he says in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Now, if anyone faced evildoers, David faced some evildoers. Whether they're supposed to be people in his family, people supposed to be on his side, people who should have mentored him, the Philistines, the Amalekites, a whole bunch of other people, he has some face, some evildoers. But notice what he says in the psalm. Don't fret, evildoers. Nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and feed on his faithfulness. Didn't we just sing about that earlier? How faithful he is? Feed on his faithfulness. 
Remind yourself all the times how God's been faithful. Remind yourself all the times how he's brought you through. Remind yourself of all the times when Ziklag's been on fire, yet you recovered all. Remind yourself of all the times you think, I don't know how I was going to make it, yet you made it. Remind yourself of all the times when you thought, I don't know how God's going to do it, yet he did it. Feed on his faithfulness. Because whatever you're facing now is not the first time you face something big. It's not the first trial or temptation in your life. It's not the first tribulation you've run into. There's so many other things you've been through, and God has proven himself faithful. So feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord means roll it onto him. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Notice how many times he said that in this small passage alone. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. He told us again and again in the psalm. And remember, he's got some experience with this. Don't fret. It only causes harm. Don't be anxious and worried because it seems like wicked people are winning. That those living sinful lifestyles are getting ahead. He said, don't fret about that. Don't worry about that. That only causes harm. Instead of fretting, you should wait. So that lets you know if you're fretting, you're not waiting. He said, don't fret. Lean in expectation on God. Commit your way to him. Roll it onto him. Trust in him. He will bring it to pass. And David could say it as an expert. It's like, yeah, he told me some stuff when I was a teenager. There's a lot of stuff that looked like it would never happen. There were some giants there's some enemy armies. I was on the run for my life. I did this, I went through this, I went through this, I went through this, I went through this, and then Ziklag was on fire. Yet everything God said came to pass. Don't fret because it seems like sinful people are winning. Don't be envious when it seems like wicked people are getting ahead. Those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. God will bring to pass everything he promised you. Don't fret, wait. Say it with me and put it in the chat. Say, don't fret, wait. One more time, say, don't fret, wait. Remember, you've been selected. You've been anointed. And it's time for you to spring forward. We just sprang forward in time. And so I was like, I can definitely feel it today, Pastor. But notice, David sprang forward into his call in a time where it didn't look like it was going to happen. But everything had changed. That's why you can't quit. Everything has changed. You have to keep moving forward. So, so what should I do since everything has changed? We saw from David's example, encourage yourself in the Lord. What else should you do? First Thessalonians 5.11, New Living Translation. 
It says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So encourage yourself and encourage somebody else. While you're waiting to get the news that everything's changed. You already know God has done it. So while you're still passionately waiting in expectation, encourage yourself and encourage somebody else. Find someone to encourage. Proverbs eleven twenty five, the New Living says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So if you encourage and refresh others, encouragement and refreshment will come back to you. God has called us to be those who encourage others. You are supposed to be an encouraging person. God has not anointed you to be doom and gloom. God has not anointed you to bring depression wherever you go. You're not that peanut's character that had the cloud about him. No, you're not anointed to bring a cloud like that. Glory cloud, yes. Cloud of darkness, depression, no. You're anointed to bring encouragement. You're anointed to prophesy. Now remember, to prophesy doesn't always mean to tell the future. The gift of prophecy, the simple gift of prophecy, is a supernatural message in a known language that encourages, that builds up, and comforts. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, I want the whole church at Corinth to prophesy. Now, he didn't say I want them all to be prophets. Just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. He didn't say I want the whole church to be prophets. I want you all to prophesy. I want you all to give supernatural messages that encourages, that builds up, that comforts. Imagine what the world would look like if the whole body of Christ just actually did that. If everybody who named the name of Jesus went out and encouraged people on behalf of the Heavenly Father. Imagine how differently our world would look like. That's what you're called to do. We looked at the book of Acts last week, how the Holy Spirit poured out upon all flesh. He said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. God wants us to encourage others. And the thing is, when you start, when you put yourself in a position to encourage others, and you just do it on a regular basis, you don't have to be deep with it. Just encourage somebody. Encourage them to keep going forward. While you're encouraging yourself, encourage others. And when you encourage others, you put yourself in a position to be used by God. And as you find yourself encouraging them, you hear the Holy Spirit and your spirit talking to you about them. He says, hey, share this with them. So what do you do? You say what he tells you to say. Now, pro tip, say pro tip. When the Holy Spirit starts talking through you, when he finishes, you finish. Pro tip, say it out loud, put it in the chat, say pro tip. When the Holy Spirit talks, starts talking through you, when he finishes, you finish. Don't add on to what he said. Because what happens, we get so excited when God uses us. We get so excited when he's talking through us. We get so excited. It's like, oh, man, it's working. Look, it's registering. Oh, man, you can see it's, they say, oh, this was for me. This is for me. Oh, look, there's a tear. They cried. Oh, my God, God is using me. He's talking through me. You get so excited. You should be excited. But then you just keep talking. It's like, no, no, no. When the Holy Ghost is done, you stop. So what should I do after that? Pray for him. Hey, can I pray for you? Sure, let's pray. When you position yourself to encourage others, the Holy Spirit will use you to encourage others. He'll use you in the gift of prophecy, which is a supernatural message in a known language that encourages, that builds up, and comforts. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's bring this to a close. So while you passionately wait on God, encourage yourself and encourage others. Do not be distracted by the works of darkness and those who seem to be successful because of their sinful lifestyles. Be faithful. Don't go AWOL. Stay at your post. Remember, you were selected. Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's key on verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, most of this message, I encourage you from the Psalms. I spoke to you from the Psalms. And we know that the powerful words of hymns that are based on the Word of God. But when we talk about spiritual songs, that one of the things you have to understand, the importance of making melody in your heart to the Lord. That one of the things I've learned to do, that as I pray or just live, sometimes I just see my prayer life just living, on the inside, I hear songs. And it could be an old song. Sometimes it's some old songs we sing back in Word of Faith decades ago. And I'll just sing that song. Because there's times you'll learn with spiritual songs, sometimes there are songs the Holy Ghost wants to hear. And if he wants to hear that song, then I'm going to sing that song. If he wants to hear that song, I'm going to sing that song. But there are times where a song will arise in your heart for the purpose of instructing you and telling you what to do. I remember years ago, I started, my dad woke up, and a song kept rising in my heart. My help comes from the Lord. It's based on the Psalms, and it's kept rising in my heart. Well, when Ron Winans and CeCe Winans sang it all those decades ago, it kept rising in my heart. So I sang it, and I sang it, and I sang it. And then I didn't know the treachery was, that was waiting for me that day. But I could go back to that morning in the song of the Lord. And he reminded me, yeah, you're about to face some stuff, but my, your help comes from me. You're about to face some stuff, but you got my help. So what was doing? I was instructed by the song in my spirit. Now that song didn't grab me, to grab hold of me. You must sing that song. No, no. This gentle stirring on the inside. You listen for that song and you sing it. It will remind you of things. It will help you stay and connected in the flow of the Holy Ghost. And then sometimes it will instruct you and tell you what to do. And that's one of the reasons why, especially as the Holy Ghost leads us, we make room for the songs of the Lord in this house. That there are times you show me before church starts, and sometimes while I'm preaching or in the moment, I say, hey, I want you to sing these words. Why? It's the song of the Lord. And I've heard from different testimonies of you that, of different of you that, you know, you go through the week and that song talks to you throughout the week. It keeps echoing and echoing and echoing and echoing in your heart. It's the instruction of the Lord. It's equivalent or connected or a manifestation of the gift of prophecy. Which remember, it's not always telling you the future, but a supernatural message in a known language that builds up, that encourages, and that comforts. And when you take time more and more to pray in the Spirit, and I'm not just talking about praying five seconds, I'm talking about taking time to pray in the Spirit in your time of prayer. You'll cross over, and there are times you'll hear things on the inside for you to speak out. It's a gift of prophecy working in your prayer life. Sometimes you'll receive a song. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go record it somewhere and try to get a Grammy. That song is for you. It's your encouragement. It's your instruction. It's one of the ways the Spirit of God speaks to you and encourages you and instructs you and shows you things to come. And so what do you do when you get a word in prayer or you get a word in song in prayer? 
write it down, record it, go back to it. It helps you stay in step with the Spirit of God. He'll bring songs through to your mind and through, throughout the week. He'll bring it up through your heart. So just sing that song. Now, you don't, if you're in a public place, you don't have to sing it to the top of your lungs, but you can just sing it to yourself. Make melody in your heart to the Lord because he will instruct you, he'll teach you, he'll show you what to do. It's part of the gift of prophecy. Or simply say it this way, it's part of being a spirit-filled believer. It's part of living the supernatural lifestyle of faith. The Holy Ghost is a great teacher. You just got to let him teach you. You just got to listen to him. He will lead you. He will guide you into all truth. And when you have that song in your heart, you keep that song going as part of that mixtape or the playlist I talked to you guys about last week. It helps you passionately wait on God. It helps you to not give up. It helps you to keep moving forward. It helps you to pursue and recover all when Ziklag is on fire. It helps you get to the place that God promised you, the song of the Lord in your heart. So that you have to give way to it throughout the week. Yes, sing popular Christian songs that are based on the Word. Not the ones that are on the Word, but the ones based on the Word. Sing those songs all the time. Yes, that's good and well, psalms and hymns. But listen for the spiritual songs of the Lord. Take time every day to pray in the Spirit, but also take time every day to sing in the Spirit. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I pray and I sing with my understanding, but also pray and sing in the Spirit. Yes, pray and sing with your normal language and your understanding, but take time every day to pray in the Spirit and to sing in the Spirit. You know, when we look back at the Zeus Street Revival, it talks about the glory of God that was manifest there. But I read the testimonies of those who lived through it. They said it would always go to another level anytime we would sing in the Spirit. The glory would get stronger. The presence would increase anytime we would sing in the Spirit. And that's not just for your individual life, but it's for us corporately and individually. We're supposed to walk in the presence of God. And one of the ways you do that is through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, one thing about praying in the Holy Ghost, it says it encourages you. It builds you up. Praying in the Spirit is one way to encourage yourself in the Lord. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is another way to encourage yourself in the Lord. And you do that, you put yourself in a position to encourage others. And when there's encouragement flowing from you, encouragement will flow to you. And then you'll be like David, who's able to encourage himself of the Lord, inquire of the Lord, and pursue and recover all. God does not want you without. He wants you to recover all. I heard a man of God say this years ago, he says, so many believers are just content to make it through when God wants to restore them. Stand to your feet. See, the thing about the word restore, it's connected to the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, yes, it's peace, but it's nothing missing, nothing broken. So many times we go through things and say, I made it through, I've got peace, but I have some pieces missing. I'm glad I made it through, but I'm not whole. God wants you to recover all so you're whole and cause you to get recompense on top of that. He wants you to recover all and receive recompense. But the way you keep moving forward to recover all and receive recompense 
is by staying encouraged and encouraging others. Ziglag is not the end of the story. Everything has changed. So be encouraged, stay encouraged, and encourage others. And watch miracles happen every day. Yep, so that's what we're saying. Minister David, come and help me. Saying miracles are happening every day. Miracles are happening every day. Miracles are coming your way. Miracles are coming. They are coming your so lift your hands and receive. Lift your hands to receive. Because God has miracles for you today. God has miracles for you today. For miracles are happening each and every day. Miracles are happening each and every day. Expect miracles. Expect miracles because everything has changed. Because everything has changed. It's not what you're used to. It's not what you're used to. Just know God has made a way. God has made a way. Miracles are happening. Miracles. Each and every day. Each and every day. Now lift your hands and say. Lift your hands and say. I've received my miracle today. I received my miracle today. Now just sing over them. Receive miracles. <clears throat> Receive miracles. Receive miracles. Receive miracles. Yeah, receive miracles. Just receive miracles. Receive miracles. Receive miracles. Receive miracles.
Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is going to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message, and remember, God has a great plan for your life, and something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.